about death is uncomfortable. We think if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Sadly, this isn't true. It's the only thing in life that we can be certain about. And because we don't talk about it, often we don't know what to do when we experience the death of a loved one. My name is Fiona Garvin and this is Deadly Serious Conversations. I'll be talking to a range of people who will share their knowledge and experience so we can learn how to make dying part of living. Today I'm chatting with Katrina Shalaga. Katrina is a psychologist in a private practice and in this episode we talk about some of the normal responses to losing a loved one and how grief can encompass a wide range of emotions. We also explore some of the steps that we can take to adjusting to a new reality of living with the absence of a loved one. So good morning, Katrina. Thank you so much for joining us today. And today we're going to have a little chat about grief. So losing a loved one is probably one of the most difficult experiences that we will ever have to deal with. And to quote a line from Michelle Obama's book, Becoming, it hurts to live when someone you love dies. And grief, I know, looks very different from one person to the next. Can you tell us a little bit about what someone may experience in those early days following the loss of a loved one? Yes, good morning, Fiona. Thank you for having me. Um, The first thing to say, I suppose, is that it is really important to grieve. So the tasks of mourning are like developmental tasks. It's important that we go through them because they need to be processed in a way for for people to be able to adapt to loss. And that's what grieving is. Grieving is um, an adaptation to the loss of someone that we've loved. And we want to re-establish an equilibrium and the capacity to move forward. So grieving or mourning is important. And there's a very broad range of feelings and reactions after a loss, and they are very individual. So the the first thing that most people will experience is a sense of shock and numbing, particularly after a sudden or unexpected death, but that also happens with a very anticipated loss. So people can have someone dying at home they know that the end is going to come and yet they still feel very shocked when it actually happens and that's a very normal feeling that numbing um, that i mentioned can be a sort of lack of feeling so feeling numb and spaced out and really shocked people describe that they're on autopilot, that they're just going through the motions, but that they're not really there. So that feeling of dissociation is also very common, particularly in that very initial time. Then in following on from that, people feel very fatigued, that they're very lethargic, a very intense tiredness. It's sort of an emotional tiredness. They may cry a lot. They may not cry at all. And 
I think what's important to say there is that is that that's not an indication of the closeness uh, of the relationship or of the intensity of the grief, but whether or not you cry. So a, a lot of people sort of judge their reactions and they don't always go as we would imagine they might. I think there's a real longing for the person that has gone and that would be felt mostly across the board. Um, anger is another thing that's often mentioned in grief literature and a lot of people are very surprised by their feelings of anger after the, the loss of a loved one. It's very confusing for people who are grieving and who feel very sad to also feel very angry. And that might be frustration at the helplessness that they feel because there is no getting that person back. And it can also be anger at being left by that person and, and being left in a state of feeling terrible. Um, and the anger in grieving can often be a source of problems for people in the grief process. So that's, that's often something that brings someone into a counselling situation. Most unexpected for me um, when I was grieving is another aspect, uh, which is anxiety. So a real a strong feeling of insecurity that that you're unable to get that person back, of a real fear that you're not going to be able to cope, intense loneliness and, and a real panic. So a lot of people experience anxiety and panic and wonder where that could be coming from. And it's actually very normal in those early stages of grieving. People have a lot of physical sensations and they can be very confusing as well. Um, and make people feel anxious because they're feeling things so viscerally that, that they're sure they're real, but in actual fact, they're just part of that grieving process. So a lot of people feel very tight in their chest and their throat. They can feel breathless and very weak. Um, a lot of people say that they just don't have any strength to do anything. They feel tired and weak. Um, a lot of stomach sy symptoms show up at these times. So butterflies in the tummy or that feeling of nervousness and also pains in the tummy. And a lot of people have dry mouth as well. Yeah, just with those feelings of weakness, Katrina, I know that um, for a lot of people, they don't like the, the taste of food or they don't feel like eating, which I know can impact them as well. And it's very difficult to try and eat when you're feeling so unwell or, or not feeling great. So I'm sure that adds to the weakness as well. Indeed. And appetite changes and loss of appetite, very common um, in that period as are sleep disturbances. Um, so a lot of people find it very difficult to sleep. Um, they're thinking, ruminating, going over things in their mind. A lot of people will have very vivid dreams at that time and they can be quite intense and frightening. And early wakening is also reported 
a lot. So people waking at 4.30, 5am and then not being able to get back to sleep. People also report a lot um, that they sigh all the time. I just hear it really commonly in my practice that people find themselves sighing quite loudly and I've wondered with clients that I've worked with what that might be about. It seems to me that it's sort of a, it's trying to release it or process it or get it out in some way. Wow, fascinating. Yeah. Um, some, some people on the other side sort of have this restless overactivity. So they can appear really quite manic um, keeping themselves very busy, they become driven and um, trying to mow through all the things that have to be done. And that, in a sense, is a, is a sort of avoidance strategy, if you like, or defence, trying to avoid triggers that will upset them, trying to avoid thinking or reflecting on what this means to them and and just with that Katrina I often find with families that I work with I always think it's really unfair that they have to be thrown into the busyness of organizing a funeral so soon after losing someone because suddenly they're consumed with the all the jobs that have to be done and in such a short space of time that it means that they're having to be really busy and yeah, they don't have that time. They throw themselves into organising the funeral and don't have time to reflect and just look after themselves. Yes. The other thing to add in, I suppose, are the cognitions. So um, psychologists are always thinking about what their patients are thinking. And the sort of cognitions that follow in the aftermath of the loss of someone that we love are disbelief. So a lot of people just cannot believe it's really happened and trying to wrap their minds around what this means and the new reality, the, the new reality that their life has moved into and that is life without this person that they loved. Confusion, preoccupation, a lot of people feel like um, they just cannot think about anything else, that really nothing else exists. And it is, it is very overwhelming. It is very preoccupying. And really, I think we need to just give over to that, to just allow yourself the space and time to be preoccupied with your loss. People also talk a lot about sense of um, the, the lost one being present, they may even sort of have hallucinations or they're able to see or feel or hear the person that they've lost. And that, again, very normal response. It's not something that we would worry about. It's, um, it's a normal part of the grieving process. Beautiful. Uh, thank you, Katrina. That, that's such a broad range of emotions and feelings. And, and as you mentioned, some people will resonate that and recognize that they may have experienced some of those before, but yeah, they don't have to have experienced all of them. It just is different for everyone. Isn't that right? That's right. Yeah. And so if someone feels that they aren't coping, can you suggest any tips for what they can do to help? Yeah, I think, as we've mentioned, there's such a broad range 
that is within the range of normal. But then some people may be experiencing feelings or thoughts that they worry are not quite normal. And so that might be a time to seek support. I think the, if you don't already have a relationship with a counsellor or a psychologist, there's always your GP and that's a great first, first line call. So, and GPs will very often be able to spend some time with you to talk through what's troubling you. There may be pastoral care in your life that you can access. Lifeline is also a fantastic resource. So there are trained counsellors there that are all very familiar with with grief and the processes of grief, and they can direct you to a service in your area that might be helpful. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to say there that seeking help is not a sign that there's something wrong or that or that there's something wrong with you or not going well or that there's something wrong in the way that you're grieving. Seeking help is to seek the support of someone that can walk alongside you at a very difficult time and that you might be able to do it without that support and most of us would, but it might be a more rewarding less exhausting, less miserable experience if you're able to share that with someone who understands what you're going through and can also just help guide you through different perspectives and different understandings that can help you reach a place of peace about the loss. So it's not necessarily about taking sadness away because that's not possible. It's not about relieving you of those of those reactions of sadness and grief it's about supporting you through a healthy process of grief yeah that's a great idea it's not about necessarily fixing the problem because it can't be fixed but it's it's that's right yeah Katrina we often put unrealistic expectations on ourselves on how quickly we think that we should start to feel better can you talk to us a little bit about how long the grieving process may last for well so different for different people (laughs) and again huge range within the bounds of normal in general I find as you said Fiona People are so hard on themselves about what they expect in terms of time and getting over things, getting on with things. When real, if, if you've had a relationship with the person that you've lost for <clears throat> 10 plus years, you can't expect to get over that, the loss of that person quickly. It, that's not going to happen. It's going to take time. And the process takes place over time it's not something that can be hurried or rushed i find that generally support dries up for people around their grief not long after the funeral so the grieving uh kept in mind by others for a certain period of time and then they move on with their lives but the person who's mourning is is still experiencing it's experiencing intense feelings for a long time and for me the the grief process is really only getting started after the funeral you've been busy 
up until the funeral and you've been in shock up until the funeral. And then the sort of reflection starts taking place. And that grief process can be really intense and it can be very mild. And again, that's not an indication of the closeness of the relationship or how, how much you're grieving. It's not something to be quantified, I suppose. And for some people, it starts really quickly. So they enter that sort of process of reflection very quickly after the loss and after the funeral. But for others, it's quite delayed. So they might remain in that numb, shocked sort of state for many months. And, and then they start to feel the sadness later. So again, normal but many people may worry about that. And it depends on so many other variables. So the things that I would be thinking about would be, what are the other things going on in this person's life? So do they have little children to look after? Are they caring for another unwell person? Are they, what's happening around them in their lives? Babies and children are big distractions <laughs> for people <laughs> grieving. They're big distractions, full stop. But, um, but for people grieving, they can very often really delay the grief because there's so much to get on with when you're looking after children and that, that you don't allow yourself the time to be sad or unhappy around them. And so people need to find ways of sort of grieving more privately and giving themselves other time to do that. What supports are in the person's life? Who have they got to talk to and share things with? And the mental health of the person. So if someone is already quite depressed when they enter a process of grieving, then there's, it's going to be a very hard time so all of those things need to be taken into account and really what it comes down to is the adjustment to change the adjustment as I said before to the new reality of living without this person but what I talk to a lot of the people that I work with about is that the person is lost uh, to us but the relationship that we had with them continues the relationship is ongoing so uh, and that comes as a comfort to many people that that the love and the enjoyment that you shared with that person can still be very alive the relationship in your mind never ends because it, because it's in your memory so it still exists very much and you're still able to talk to that person relate to that person show them things share with them where you're at in life and that can be a great comfort 
Yeah, good idea. And the other thing, Katrina, that you mentioned there just at the beginning of that was that people often after the funeral, that's when they're grieving really just start. And we have this idea that the funeral almost draws a line in the sand. And well, that's that part over and done with and everything else is behind you. Um, and, And we assume that people have to get back to their jobs and back to their lives. When someone goes back to work, that part of their life, they um, suddenly are moving forward and, and that's not the case at all. Yeah. And they really need support then. You know, I think so many people offer it, offer it in the time when it first happens, which is actually when people need it least um, because they're in shock and they really need their private time and grief is a very private thing as well as being something that needs to be shared so I think it's good to keep in mind that the grief process is long and people need support for a long time not just before the funeral yeah and I often see it when I go into families homes there's such an outpouring of support you know when you walk into a family's home and the place is like a florist there's so many flowers the doorbell's constantly going and it's a a delivery of another bunch of flowers and I often think it'd be lovely if that was sort of spread out over the coming months yes (laughs) yeah and so if we know that someone has suffered a loss what can we do to support them what are some of the things that we can do over many months well I think allowing space and time so giving that person time and space your time as much as their own and also trying to hold their experience in some way and that's what counseling does and that is also what can be very helpful for people so It's being okay, I suppose, to allow this person to be distressed. Distress is a normal part of life and it's a very normal part of grief. And it's not something to be frightened of. It's it's something to be um, just sat with and allowed. I think it's important to, to keep talking, keep asking, Keep asking how they are. Keep asking how they're coping. Keep opening the door for them to talk about their loss and what's happening for them and where they are in that process. So don't be, don't be frightened to ask the question. And the other thing just with that is don't be afraid to use the person who's passed away as name like don't be afraid to bring up their name in conversation just because you use their name you're not going to remind someone that they've died they already know that but it's not going to ease ease their pain any less if you don't use their name i think that's exactly right Faye. it's people who are grieving actually want to talk about the person they've lost they People are afraid to bring it up in case they make them upset, but they're already upset. They're they're just hiding it. And I think to, to remember the person with someone that's lost them is actually such a lovely loving act to to think about that person to have memories of them to share those and laugh and cry together is a sharing of that grief and you know a problem shared is a 
problem halved. It's uh, that if we can connect with others about grief, you actually have, you open the capacity for um, a real growing of your relationship with them. And, and you might be surprised what that is actually able to give you, that um, sharing in people's grief is actually a very privileged thing to do. It's a, it's a lovely thing to do. Absolutely. And some of the practical things as well, you know, in many communities, they have an ability to create rosters and to create where you can drop off food or bring food over a period of time. All of those practical things are wonderful as well. Indeed. Yeah. And again, I think um, asking, asking people what they need is one thing, but also just doing um, for those that are grieving is a great idea as well. So very often if you ask someone who's grieving, what do you need? They just wouldn't have a clue because they're so caught up in the intensity of the experience that they're going through. So to just drop off food, to just call in with flowers, to, to just call, to make those steps of your own accord can come as a great relief to, the, to those that are mourning. Yeah. As humans, we're not very good at being able to ask for help, but receiving it, you know, where someone has thought about you unexpectedly or they've done something with real kindness is just so beautiful. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Katrina, thank you so much for all of those wonderful ideas and suggestions. And I really enjoyed having a cuppa with you this morning. I, I have seen that you've been drinking. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Are you a tea or a coffee drinker? What are you drinking this morning? Well, I am a one coffee in the morning girl. Oh. Uh, but thereafter that one coffee, because if I have any more um up most of the night but after thereafter that coffee it's teas of various varieties <laughs> and so is this your one coffee this morning no i've had my one coffee this this is a herbal tea Oh, fantastic. In a very special cup. Yeah. I can see that it. you're yeah. like myself, a, a dog lover. So I can see that it's a very special cup. <laughs> yes. And, and pets can be a wonderful support for the grieving too. Oh, absolutely. Nothing better than a snuggle with your dog or cat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been so good talking to you, Katrina. I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. You're welcome. Thank you, Faye.